0: The last two weeks, we started off two weeks ago looking at the announcement from Gabriel to Mary regarding her impending conception. Quite an incredible event. Quite a lot for a perhaps 14 to 16-year-old girl to take in. Last week we looked at her reaction, her response in the Magnificat the magnification of God, her praise, her soliloquy to the Lord as she rejoices. Now think about it. Mary rejoiced in that special calling that God had put upon her even though the implications were pretty intense. She was going to have to explain to her betrothed husband, Joseph, how she could be pregnant without having been with another man. She's also going to have to explain it to her parents, and she's going to have to deal with all the fallout from the village of Nazareth in which she lived. And yet, her reaction was one of rejoicing, praising God, embracing that amazing but very challenging calling. What we have not looked at yet, but we will look at today, is Joseph's story. Now Dr. Luke, the only Gentile writer in the Bible, we talked about the fact that Dr. Luke did an intensive investigation into the life of Christ before he wrote his gospel, the gospel according to Luke, most likely having interviewed Mary, perhaps on multiple occasions, but at least once. And because Luke was not there, he was not part of the original group of disciples, but he was a tremendous investigative journalist, if you will. But Luke's story focuses primarily on Mary, whereas Matthew, one of the obviously Jewish writers of the scriptures, Matthew gives us more information about Joseph's part in all of this, and that's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to read verses 18 through 25 and then we will pray and get into the study. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing story recorded for us in your holy scriptures. The story of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and of the young people that you chose to be the key instruments in bringing about your plan for your son and for the human race. We ask you to bless this time of study in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, or as we know, the Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua The Anointed One. And so right here we've got the whole ballgame, folks. If the birth of Jesus came about in the same way as every other human being, then we would all be lost. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Very different, right, from your normal, average human birth. If Jesus, back when I was uh, recommitting, rededicating my life to the Lord as a 17-year-old, The Jesus movement was kicking in in Southern California, it was a very exciting time. Contemporary Christian music was just emerging. But there was this musical came out called Jesus Christ Superstar. Remember that? And again, as a young novice believer, you know, I found it to be very exciting. That was a time when in the midst of this outpouring of the Spirit of God and this awakening amongst the young people, of the reality of Jesus Christ and who he really is. And then to see this this musical burst forth on the scene, worldwide phenomenon, productions all over the world of Jesus Christ Superstar and the the record selling millions of copies and so forth. But it wasn't that theologically sound, you know what I mean? Because the lyrics from that song, I don't know how to love him, remember that song? I don't know how to love him. Remember that? It says... He's a man. He's just a man. Excuse me? Mary Magdalene from Jesus Christ Superstar? If Jesus is just a man, then there's no hope for anyone. But she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. His mother Mary. Notice Matthew says it this way. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. He does not identify Joseph as Jesus' father because Joseph wasn't his biological father. God is Jesus' father. So Matthew refers to Mary as his mother, but not Joseph as his father. She was betrothed to Joseph or pledged, espoused. There are several words that are used to describe that kind of a relationship. Equivalent to engagement, but Under Old Testament law, the biblical terms betrothal and espousal are almost synonymous with marriage and just as binding. Betrothal and marriage comprise a moral and spiritual principle for the home and society. The penalty under the law of Moses for disrupting this principle by adultery, rape, fornication, or incest was death by stoning. Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 10. From what historical records we do have, there's a strong indication that that was not always carried out. But the idea that that potential punishment was there would would be a strong deterrent. It would communicate to people how seriously this commitment should be taken. And we can see folks from this and many other examples that in ancient times People took their commitments much more seriously than we do today. And that's one of the reasons we do see an unraveling, a deterioration of our culture, of our society, because we have lost that understanding of the importance of keeping your word. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, the Bible says. To do otherwise is a sin, according to Jesus. Now later, under some circumstances, we know that the Jewish legal system did allow for divorce. Jesus, when he was here on the earth teaching and preaching, said that that was because of the hardness of the people's hearts. It wasn't God's perfect will or perfect plan by any means, but because of the hardness of their hearts, God was allowing that, but it wasn't his plan. It was supposed to be till death do us part. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. But the forgiving love and grace of God for his adulterous people is demonstrated in the book of Hosea, where Hosea buys back his adulterous wife and restores her to his home and protection. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And so the message is that forgiveness takes precedence over stoning or divorce. Thank God for that, right? In the book of James it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. I thank God every day for His love, His grace, His mercy and His forgiveness. But understanding that we really should take seriously our commitments. In the New Testament Paul used the betrothal concept to explain the ideal relationship that exists between the church as a chaste virgin being presented to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2 And this is God speaking through the Apostle Paul. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so again, in Paul's other writings, he talks about the fact that the, the earthly marriage relationship is to be a reflection of our relationship with God, the intimacy that we're to have with God. And so we are betrothed to Jesus Christ. We are called the Bride of Christ, and then the consummation or the fulfillment of our betrothal will be when we see Him face to face. But right now we're betrothed, we're espoused, we're married to Jesus. Now it tells us here that before Joseph and Mary came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This means, before they came together, I think it should be obvious, but before they had intimate relations, although a spousal was considered just as binding as marriage, the couple did not cohabitate or have intimate relationships until after the wedding. What a novel idea. That's how they used to do it. First you get married, then you cohabitate. Then you share the marital bed. See? That's how God intended it. Not very many people follow that practice today, sadly. And you know what? I've seen it happen time and time again. It's crazy. When people cohabitate outside of marriage, and then at some point they decide to make it official, they almost inevitably break up. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? I've seen it. Why is that? Because they violated God's plan in the first place, by having intimacy outside of marriage. And so when they get marriage, everything's flipped around backwards and it breaks. It doesn't work. See, by the way, God actually knows what he's doing. Did you know that? That may come as a surprise to some, but God actually knows what he's doing. God created marriage. God created the first man and the first woman. He brought the woman to the man and he presided over their union. Now I know we live in a crazy mixed up world and most of us have messed up multiple times. The good news God can heal us. He can restore us. He can deliver us. But you know what? Wouldn't it be a whole lot better if we just do it His way in the first place? There'd be a lot less mess to clean up. Oh Lord that we could train our children to understand this. And by the way once you move outside the realm of heterosexuality. Oh by the way That new bill that they passed in Congress, the Defense of Marriage Act, which is really the Destruction of Marriage Act. Did you know that? Uh, It could make it illegal for me to say what I'm about to say. Do you really think I care? Not a bit. Once you step outside the realm of heterosexuality, it gets even far worse. It's bad enough when you violate God's rules, you violate God's plans, you have relations with someone you're not married to, of the opposite gender it still messes things up. I've got friends, male friends that I've known for many years, some longer than others, that have shared some of their stories with me and they're still struggling and still dealing 50 50 years later with the mistakes they made as a young person with regard to being intimate with multiple partners. And they're born again, spirit-filled believers, and they still struggle with it. God knows what he's talking about. But once you move out of the realm of heterosexuality, it gets even worse. Because now, not only have you violated God's plan regarding intimacy in marriage only, you've totally destroyed it by doing that which is perverse, perverted, distorted, twisted, And totally violates God's laws. In fact, again, we talked about the breaking of a spousal, betrothal by adultery, by fornication, by incest, was punishable by death, by stoning in the Old Testament. Guess what else was? A man lying with a man as a man lies with a woman. A woman lying with a woman as a woman lies with a man was also capital punishment. Why? Because God's a bad guy. He's a meanie. He's evil. He's hateful. Not at all. Because God made us. He knows how we're supposed to function. And He knows what happens when we violate that. Okay. So uh, I may have a jail ministry in the near future. <laughs> Bring me a cake with a <laughs> a. <fire>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then there was this case in England. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be getting off the story of Joseph here. (laughs) There was a case in England where a minister was brought to trial for preaching publicly about the same thing I just talked about, by the way. Reading from the Scriptures is what he was doing. He was just reading what the Bible says about it publicly. He was arrested. He went on trial, and the prosecutor said that there are some portions of the Bible that are not appropriate for the modern world they're offensive, they are hateful, and they shouldn't be allowed to be read or spoken. Fortunately, the guy won his case. But that tells you the mentality of people in the secular, liberal world today, in the legal world. See, you've heard the term hate speech, right? Well, now they're beginning to label portions of God's word as hate speech. Therefore, if you read it, you quote it, you're spewing out hate speech and you could be subject to arrest. So much we could talk about, but let's get back here to the story of Joseph. Thank you, Pastor. Okay, Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Again, no doubt she realized it was a matter of time before she would begin to show, even though they wore looser clothing in those days, the, the robes and so forth, but she would begin to show and confident within herself that the baby was indeed miraculously conceived, she reluctantly disclosed, apparently at this point, to her parents and to Joseph that she was pregnant. As we learned last week, apparently her cousin Elizabeth knew about her conception before her parents and before Joseph did. Remember, shortly after she received the message from Gabriel, She went to visit Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant, with John the Baptist. He wasn't called John the Baptist yet, but that's who he would become. So verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Notice something again. We've talked about this whole concept of betrothal, espousal, engagement, being just as binding as marriage. So much so that here, Matthew refers to Joseph as her husband. He was already considered to be her husband. It was a legally binding relationship. You know, it's interesting. I talked about this sometimes in some of my marriage wedding ceremonies that I've done. But whenever we purchase something of value, whether it's a car, a house, land, whatever, there's usually a contract to be signed, right? Which obligates and commits us to the agreement both parties the buyer the seller there's a contract signed there's a commitment made and there are consequences if the stipulations of the agreement are not kept and really the same thing should be true with marriage there's a key word here that I want to talk about a little bit and that's ownership Acts 20 28 therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So here, Paul is addressing the elders, the leaders in the church, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I've talked about this before, but I don't know if we if believers always totally grasp or understand the concept. When you become a Christian, you're entering into a contract with God. It's called a covenant. Jesus bought you with his blood. Therefore, you're now... His property. Bob Dylan even wrote a song about that. The property of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I love the idea of being owned by God. Now, some people might have a problem with that. You know, we Americans, our nation was born out of a rebellion, a revolution. I think it was a just cause, but maybe we Americans have always had a slightly rebellious attitude, but I think that's just typical of the human race, don't you? But it's important to understand this concept of ownership, of owning and being owned. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. We talked about this a little bit last week with Mary. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Did you just see that? What did it just say? God owns your body and your spirit. I'm searching for the word. It's slipping me at the moment. The uh, cult group that emerged in the first century. But one of the aspects was that they believed that the spirit body were totally separate. Therefore you could worship God and believe in God in your spirit, but do whatever you wanted to do with your, with your body. It doesn't work that way. He owns every bit of us, body, soul, and spirit. 1 Corinthians 7.4 this is really going to rub some people the wrong way, but I didn't write it, God did. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so, just like other aspects of life, more important than any other is that covenant between us and God understanding that he purchased us with his blood he owns but you know what you don't have to be owned by God if you don't want to you have a free will you have a free will you can say no to God I the last time I looked most people do say no to God or if they say yes it's not to the real God it's not to the real Jesus it's one they've created in their own minds You know, God created us in His image, but many people, you know what religion is? It's you creating God in your image. There's a big difference. But in order to be a true believer, a true follower of Christ, a true disciple of Christ, you have to willingly accept the price that He paid for you and let Him take ownership over you Paul says, I'm a bondservant or a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he chose that. You can choose it. You can reject it. You can go your own way. You can do your own thing. It's totally up to you. Bob Dylan, again, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So if you choose to reject God's price paid for you, then you will wind up becoming the property of the devil. Any way you slice it, you're going to wind up owned by one or the other. You better make the right choice, I'd say. What do you think? Paul says that Jesus purchased his bride, the flock of God, with his own blood. In ancient times, and even in not so ancient times, the man, the potential husband, had to purchase his bride from the father with money, goods, livestock, etc. It was also hand-in-hand with that. It was a common practice for the potential husband to go to the father and ask for the daughter's hand in marriage. I don't think that happens much anymore either. Again, total breakdown in the understanding of the whole process, how serious it is, how respectful it should be, and the idea that it really is about ownership Ephesians 1:13 through 14 in him you also trusted Jesus Christ after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession that's you and me to the praise of his glory So when Jesus catches us up to meet him in the air or when we go to meet him in heaven then that redemption of the purchased possession will be completed. The problem is that today no one seems to want to possess or be possessed. I don't mean in the demonic sense. No one wants to possess or be possessed until we're willing to be owned by someone and allow them to own us. Paul just told us. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband doesn't have authority over his own body. It's a mutual ownership, relationship. Paul says submit to one another out of love for Christ. To be owned, and by someone, and to allow them to own us. If until we get to that point, I don't think we're ever really all in with regards to marriage, whether it be marriage with God as a bride of Christ, or earthly marriage. It's a total yielding of self, laying down of self. And I think that was the message communicated by this ancient tradition of espousal, betrothal, Engagement. But again, Joseph being a just man, now, he doesn't understand what's going on just yet. He was a good man. He was a just man. Would God choose anyone less to be the adopted father of his one and only son? I think not. And so being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, or one translation says a public disgrace. See, Joseph, if he'd been a lesser man, would have been anger, angry, bitter, jealous, vengeful. And wanted to expose Mary publicly, which could have led to her death. But as a righteous, just man, he had a heart of compassion and mercy. That's godliness. He didn't want her to become an outcast in the community or to face possible stoning, death, for adultery. And again, that's a reminder of another powerful ancient belief. Single motherhood in those days was considered shameful and even criminal. And again, that could sound hateful. That could sound judgmental. But again, God knows what he's doing. We've had such a massive uptick in single motherhood. Do we see positive results from that in our society? No. We see a lot of troubled young people. Both the young parents, single mothers as well as the children growing up in that type of a home without a balanced family situation. It's damaging. It's hurtful. It's, again, against God's plan. We're not judging people in that situation. I place no judgment upon a young girl who's a single mother or an older woman who's a single mother. Simply important that we understand whenever we deviate from God's plan, there are going to be negative consequences. Okay. Train up a child in the way that he or she should go and when they're older they will not depart from it. The problem is we're not training our children up in the right way to go. It's been happening for generations now. He was minded to put her away quietly or, or secretly, divorce her quietly, one translation says. So Joseph, not understanding the supernatural nature of Mary's pregnancy, his initial reaction was not one of anger, violence, retribution. I'm sure he was broken hearted. But he loved Mary and he wanted to do it in the least spectacular way possible. But they, even though they weren't yet married, so sacred was the year of engagement or betrothal. That's about how long it usually lasted, one year that they were by custom considered as if married. Genesis 29, 21, Deuteronomy 2223 23 through 30. Consequently, Joseph's only recourse seemed to be to send her away, which meant to give her a bill of divorce, a certificate saying, in effect, this woman is not my wife, I am not her husband. Hosea 2, 2. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So he's thinking about these things. He didn't just make a rash decision as a righteous man. Again, we see the righteousness, the godliness of Joseph. He didn't make a hasty, rash decision. He pondered the situation carefully and prayerfully. Again, a good example for all of us. And as he's pondering, as he's considering, praying, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So as Joseph is weighing the situation, he receives an angelic visitation in a dream. Now perhaps the reason these angelic visitations sometimes took place in dreams is because it would be less frightening to the individual to meet up with an angel in their dreams than in the awake state. And this angelic visitation is assuring him that the baby was miraculously and supernaturally conceived. Do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, And she will bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 2,000 years before ultrasound, Joseph is made privy to the fact that the baby will be a boy, and it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Not only does the angel, possibly Gabriel, assure Joseph and assuage his fears, the angel tells Joseph, or gives Joseph, his first instructions as a father-to-be, a custodial parent. You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Yehoshua, Joshua, God is salvation. That will be His name. Why? For He will save His people from their sins. And again, as we know, Jesus' name is a prophetic statement about His mission here on the earth. John 3, 17. We all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. Verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That happens at the second coming. When he comes to defeat the armies of this world and the Antichrist and the false prophet, the first time he came, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For he will save his people from their sins. And not just the Jewish people, God's chosen people, but his people are anyone and everyone who embraces him as Lord and Savior. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight, right? Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying. Remember, this was one of Matthew's purposes in writing his gospel, was to prove that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world. So he gives us a quote here from Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 7.14. Emmanuel, God with us. We know Jesus has many names. The name that the angel gave to Joseph was Jesus, God is salvation. But he's also known as Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, God in human form. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. So again, as we saw in verse 20, Joseph's angelic visitation took place in the form of a dream. He begins to wake up. And what does he do when he woke up? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him his wife. So without hesitation, he goes and finishes off the commitment to Mary again to protect her from public disgrace, to seal the deal right away. All indications, folk, that we've seen in the story of Mary and Joseph is that both of them, though quite young, Joseph being older than Mary most likely, But they were people of great faith and trust in God. They both were unflinching in their obedience, though their circumstances seemed absolutely impossible and unbelievable. Only one time in human history would such a thing occur. They were poor, they were insignificant country bumpkins living in a small village in the hill country of Galilee region, Nazareth. But the qualifying factor in their selection, I believe, was their unwavering faith in God. And again, just like I mentioned last week with Mary, how would you or I react or respond in these kinds of circumstances? Would we have that same kind of immediate, unwavering, unswerving obedience? We hope and pray that we would, right? Verse 25, And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, And he called his name Jesus, just like God told him to. He did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. We know that that biblical term to know means to have intimate relations with. And once again, the godly Joseph operates in absolute harmony with God's plan. There could be no room for doubt with regards to the fatherhood A baby Jesus. Joseph would be able to honestly testify, I did not lie with her until after the baby was born. I am not the biological father of this child. This child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He willingly renounced his conjugal rights until after the birth of God's Son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph obeyed God's commands, uh, given by the angel to him, to the T, you could say, to the T. He called his name Jesus, and by the way, the most glorious, beautiful, wonderful name in all the world. That's why it's the most profaned name, you know that? You don't hear people running around cursing Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius, do you? You stub your toe, do you say, oh, Confucius. (laughs) I don't think they do that anywhere in the world. Because Jesus is the only name that has the power to save you, you know that? So the devil makes sure that everybody and their brother uses his name as a swear word. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He called his name Jesus, the name above all names. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's stand. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, if you have a prayer request, please raise your hand. We'd like to lift those up to the Lord this morning. Quite a few around the room. Father God, we, you see each hand. You know each person. You told us even the very hairs on our heads are numbered. You know us inside and out, backwards and forwards. And Lord, we just lift up all of these requests now to you, God. You know what's in each person's heart and mind. For some, it could be a health issue. Lord, we confess that even though we, we know you, we love you, believe in you, trust in you, when we get sick, it bothers us. It worries us. It makes us uncomfortable. And Lord, we know that you suffered more greatly than we ever could or would. And you understand our suffering, so we lift them up to you now when we pray for healing. Lord, for your glory, that we might be able to testify to those around us of your awesome, amazing, wonderful healing power. So I pray that you'd pour out healing on all those seeking healing from physical conditions, Lord, whether it's arthritis or gout, whether it's the flu, a cold, allergies, heart disease, Lung disease. Lord, it's all the same to you. Nothing is difficult for you. Nothing is impossible with you. Lord, we humbly lift up our our illnesses to you, our afflictions. We do pray for healing in Jesus' name. But at the same time, we pray for your perfect will to be done in our lives, Lord. We yield ourselves over to you, just like Jesus did in the garden. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. But if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. And we pray that for our illnesses, Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from us, whatever it might be. And we will give you the glory for it. Lord, we pray also for mental and emotional afflictions. Those can be just as troubling, if not more so. For anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, jealousy, bitterness, resentment. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for harboring any of these Emotions, these feelings, these thoughts in our hearts and minds. We ask you to cleanse us, to wash us, renew us. Renew a right spirit within us, Father. Give us a sound mind. You said that you have given us a sound mind in Christ, the mind of Christ. Please heal and restore our minds, the way we think, the way we feel. We ask for your deliverance, Lord. You said if we would bring everything to you In prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that the peace that passes all understanding would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We ask that you would do that, Lord. We lift it all up to you. We pray that you would take our anxieties, take our stresses, take our worries, and flood us with your peace in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken, friendships, marriages, other relationships, in the workplace, in school, wherever it might be where we're having trouble getting along with someone. Help us to be the first to move for restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness. We pray for wherever possible that those relationships could be restored and mended and made right. But we ask you to help us to do our part and then leave the rest up to you, Lord. Finally, we pray for finances. This time of year can be very stressful. There are many expectations placed upon people regarding The giving and receiving of gifts and so forth, spending money, help us to exercise wisdom and good stewardship. And Lord, we pray that you would provide where we have fallen short. It might have been our own fault. We ask your forgiveness if it was, if it wasn't, if it was beyond our control. Whether either way we ask you to provide for us, Lord, help us to uh, cover all the bases. We pray that you'd help us to make ends meet. And again, that we would give you the glory and the honor and the praise for that. And now we ask that you'd receive our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.